Good morning, I'm Pastor Allen. Welcome, glad you're here. You picked a good Sunday to come. We're starting a new series. We talk about a specific talk, topic for several weeks. And we're starting this series called Imagine Heaven. I uh, would like to say we, we try and get done about 12 o'clock most Sundays. We're going to run late this morning. So hopefully that won't inconvenience uh, any of you. Obviously this is something you can't see, you can't touch, you can't feel. So it's a little difficult to talk about. Uh, the series is actually based on a book that we came out in 2015 called Imagine Heaven uh, by a guy by the name of John Burke. Came a bestseller when it came out. Uh, he researched approximately a thousand near-death experiences. Some in person, some in reading. Just to kind of get an idea, over 35 years he's done this, to get an idea about Heaven, to imagine heaven. He didn't start out as a believer. And uh, his first career was an engineer. Uh, through his study and other things, became a believer. And eventually now he's a pastor of a church. Uh, he was looking for evidence of heaven. Uh, data, if you will. And so, obviously he's researched whatever he could find. Uh, obviously as a pastor or a Jesus follower when there would seem to be a contradiction between what people experienced or thought they experienced or could remember and the Bible uh, and most of us would also side with the Bible but it was fascinating what he, what he discovered and we're going to talk about it for a few weeks now we all come from different perspectives different beliefs you may not even believe in an afterlife and if you're here we're glad that you're here uh, you may have some fuzzy idea about or you may have a very concrete set in stone idea about heaven. Uh, hopefully you'll keep a, a, an open mind. <clears throat> so why is this important? Well, <laughs> we're all going to die, right? Uh, so that's important. And the way we live here on earth, does it impact past this life? Now we did a study in 2009 on heaven. If you, how many of you were here in 2009? Remember we did a study on heaven. And... Um, I want to do another one about three years ago when our daughter-in-law died. Some of you remember that, Aaron. And I, it was just kind of too fresh. And so now it seemed like kind of the right time to do it. I had a conversation with a repairman. Well, first off, last year my wife bought this book and started reading it. She was telling us about the different things in here. And then um, I had a, a month or so a conversation with a re repairman at my house. And he, uh, different theological bent and, and, and church background. And he started, I could tell from our conversation he had completely different beliefs about afterlife than I did. And so I thought, well, I really ought to be as sure as possible about what I believe. And so I thought it'd be good to, to research and do some study. So I've read the book. And, um, of course, I've been a pastor a long time, studied the Bible and so forth. So this is where we're going for the next few weeks. Now, <clears throat> put on your outline this. Most people have a better plan for their next vacation than they do for eternity. Uh, our vacation's coming up in September. We know where we're staying, when we're staying there, what the place looks like. We looked at the place online, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but then it's over, right? And some of your vacations have already been over, right? You planned them and now they're over and that's it. And so we put all this time, energy, and money into that one week and then, it, then it's over. And so we ought to have a better plan for something that, if it exists, is going to go on for 
not a week, not a month, not a year, but for eternity. Now, it's interesting to me, not being an animal person or pet person, that one of the first questions, most important questions for folks is, will my pet be in heaven with me? And you know what the answer is? Dogs, yes. Cats, no. <laughs> Uh, I apologize to cat lovers, but anyway, um, <clears throat> I want us to talk about some misconceptions about heaven. Um, and I don't know how to word this first one. It's only kind of sort of real, right? Because we can't see it, touch it, uh, and we've got some kind of vague image in our mind. And, and so we believe it's real, but it's just kind of sort of real. It's different real. And so that's one misconception we have. But so we look in this study, we're going to find out, yeah, it's different. But most testimony is that it's more real than this is real. Uh, second one, it's going to be boring, right? It's going to be a church service all day long. You think we're service was long today. Imagine how long that sermon's going to be. Actually, I don't think there's going to be sermons in heaven. But if church is boring, then heaven must be really boring, right? So most of us believe that this life is more exciting than heaven's going to be. Maybe Quote, sin is part of that? I don't know. But we do. Uh, third misconception. <clears throat> what you read about in the Bible is mostly metaphor. Are there really going to be golden streets? And why would there be golden streets? If there's lots of gold, then it's not have much value. Gold's kind of soft anyway. Doesn't make a very good road. And pearly gates, come on. You know, I'm going to make a gates out of all these little teeny pearls. You know, so they just must be a, a metaphor, right? It's, it's, it can't be really pearly gates. Another misconception. You can't know that much about it, right? It's just kind of, you know, as the Bible talks about a little bit and it's not quite clear and, and uh, it's kind of visions or dreams and you yeah, just, just can't really know that much. Well, that's not necessarily true either. And fifth misconception. I'd be more interested in heaven if someone came back from the dead and told me about it. Of course, most of us, if you're Jesus followers, believe that somebody did, right? Um, but even then, nobody believed him, or not many people believed him. Thomas, remember, one of the disciples? I'm not going to believe it until he saw the nail prints in his hands. And I understand you can be skeptical, and I, I'm a, by nature skeptical. Some of you know that. I tend to not believe something before I believe it. And so people were skeptical back in Jesus' day and skeptical today. One thing I liked about this book was uh, uh, Pastor Burke didn't take all the inf uh, data that he got. In fact, he excluded data from people that would gain or benefit from their stories. And there's been some fake stories. Some of you may know about that. So he took stories of people that wouldn't benefit. And actually, their reputation probably would be hurt by sharing this information. And we're going to see one here in a minute uh, of a medical doctor who, you know, if you're going to share about, you know, dying and going to heaven, people are going to think you're a little crazy, right? Uh, this is really fascinating to me. Uh, Paul may have had a near-death experience. And he wrote about it. And we can read about it. And until this, this term wasn't invented until 1975 by a man by the name of Dr. Moody. But he possibly had, and we, we read where he's been stoned or almost stoned to death a couple times. So here's his recounting of that, and it sounds just like a near-death experience in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 
The boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about the visions and revelations from the Lord. Now, this is kind of common. People that have these near-death experiences don't really want to share about it, whether it's because they think people are going to think they're weird or they're just hard to explain or whatever reason. It's very, very common that people are reluctant. And if people are not reluctant, maybe it isn't so real. He said, I was caught up in the third heaven, whatever that is, 14 years ago. So it's 14 years later before he's writing this down. He didn't just blurt it out or want to tell everybody. He said, whether I'm in the body or out of my body, I do not know. Only God knows. And this is really common too. People kind of see themselves from, from above. Uh, the lady's going to share here in a minute. She's going to uh, share that same idea. They tell details about what happened to them when they were dead that they couldn't know because obviously they weren't alive to see it. But he said, I know it's caught up to paradise. So wherever it was, whatever he was experiencing, it was like fantastic. Paradise. And I heard so astounding things I couldn't be expressed in words, and that's also common. And the lady, again, is going to share. She has a hard time expressing what she saw and what she felt and the senses she experienced. Um, things no human are allowed to tell. And so consequently, after reading that, you can think of some of these other folks in the Bible, if you're familiar with the Bible. Maybe they had near-death experiences. Isaiah describes a vision of heaven. If you read the book of Ezekiel, there's all kinds of weird things he, he tries to explain. Uh, Daniel also, in our small group, we just studied Daniel. And John wrote the book of Revelation. If you ever read the book of Revelation, and we'll be studying that quite a bit during the series. There's all these things that, uh, that he saw. And Stephen, as he was dying. So I want to show you a video of an interview between Dr. Mary Neal and actually Pastor John Burke. And uh, she's going to explain a little bit. And you can watch a much longer one if you want to, want to on YouTube. So take us back to that day. I mean, here you are pinned under a waterfall. You realize you can't get loose. I mean, that must yes. have been terrifying. One would think so, but I felt great. <laughs> I had always feared a drowning death, but actually I felt no fear. I felt no panic. I felt no sense of air hunger. I felt wonderful. And the moment that I very consciously made a choice to surrender the outcome, I truly asked that God's will be done, regardless of whether that meant I was to live or die. The very moment that I asked that, I was overcome with a very physical sensation of being held and comforted and reassured by Christ that everything was fine. My husband would be fine, my young children would be fine regardless. And I was this receptacle into which Christ was pouring his love and his very being. And that was the first of many profound aspects of this experience because I was no saint. <laughs> I tried to be a good person, but I did not deserve to be held or loved by Christ. Just like, you know, none of us ever no, deserve yeah. anything. So, so you experienced this life review. You were, you were underwater like... 15 minutes or something and then yes. when you came up and they found you they started their stopwatch and it was another 15 right so what what where were you and what were you doing i was gone <laughs> <laughs> i was still aware of the physicality of it all i could feel the water i could feel the plastic of the boat my body was sucked over the deck of the boat by the current and as my body was coming out of the boat my spirit peeled away from my body and eventually I then rose up and out of the river and I was greeted by a group of somethings. People, spirits, beings, all those words 
seems sort of hokey to me, but but they had these bodies. Were, they were what? They like? did have physical form. They had head, arms, legs. They were wearing these um, robes that were very indistinct, somewhat translucent or pearlescent, <laughs> and were radiant, absolutely more brilliant than the sun, but not in a blinding sense. And they were absolutely exploding with beauty and an absolutely pure, unconditional love of God. And it's a love that we don't experience. We experience conditional love. Mm -hmm. But this was an absolute love. And they were so overjoyed to greet me and welcome me and love me and guide me. And there was a shift of time and dimension so that I could be with them. And I was trying very desperately to get down this exceptionally beautiful path to this great dome structure of sorts that I knew without any doubt was the point of no return. Was, so that was like the entrance to It heaven. was, I feel like I was in heaven, but I was definitely in the, the foyer. Mm -hmm. And this was <laughs> the point at which there was no return. And I could simultaneously look back at the river and see the guys pull my body to shore and see them start CPR. And, I was really surprised at that point because I recognized my body as mine, as representing my life, my husband, my children, and I had a great life. I have a great life. I had every reason in the world to return, but I looked at my body and I knew I was not coming back. I knew that I had absolutely no intention to return because I was absolutely overcome with this sensation or this experience of being home of being where I really belong, where we all really belong. It was as though I'd been on this long and wonderful journey to earth, but now I was home. I was gonna sleep in my own bed. I, it was wonderful. And so I, I kept going down this path as quickly as I could. And, and there was beauty along. The beauty uh, spoke to me. I absolutely believe that God presents to each one of us, just like on earth. God meets us where we are. And I believe that God presents to each one of us that experience, that scene that will speak to us and that we can understand, that will make us feel comfortable and loved and welcomed. And for me, it was color and flowers and the aroma of flowers because that's what really moves my soul. And they, were they like real? I mean, when you, it was, you know, people kind of still, we think it's kind of probably fuzzy. No, it was and, real, it was, but it was different because here on earth, we feel this table and it's real. But we can't understand the table. We can't hear the table. We can't, we can't feel experience. the love of the table. We can't experience the table. But there, the, the flowers, the aromas, the, the colors were multi-faceted. Uh, I could understand them. It's like you I, experience it in I a whole new way. I experienced in a life. very different way. Yeah. And... We then reached this threshold and I was there for what felt like many, many hours. And while I was there, uh, I had many uh, profound parts of this experience, but one of which was this sense of understanding, of, of getting it, understanding the divine order of everything. And one of the things that was so important to me is coming to an understanding of how it can really be true that there is a God who is real and present, and that there is a God who actually knows each and every one of us, 
all billions of us on the planet, loves each and every one of us as though we're the only ones, and has a plan for each and every one of our lives that's one of hope. And for me, that was life-changing. Yeah. And it should be life-changing. Yeah. And, and then I got kicked out. And then, <laughs> <laughs> it was traumatic. What, what did they say? Uh, I was told that I, it wasn't my time. I still had more work to do on Earth and that I had to go back to my I did what I think any reasonable person would do, and I said, I'm good. I was told I, everything was fine. I, I can stay. And uh, as I said earlier, I'm a doctor, not a lawyer, so here I am. All right, pretty fascinating, huh? Um, of course, that's just one person, and you can say, well, yeah, just, that's just one person. So we want to look at some common characteristics of these near-death experiences. Nobody is exactly the same, which makes it more reliable because... None of us would recount this, uh, an incident exactly the same either. And so uh, let's look through a list of, uh, that most, of, most people experience. First and foremost, all of them, it was clinical death, meaning no brain activity. And this is really, really important because you say, well, they're just dreaming, have a vision. Well, medical science tells us no. When, once the brain is dead, there's, there can be nothing else. So basically, it's medical science is telling us there's something after brain death. All right, that's the facts are telling us. Uh, third person vantage point, she talked about that. She saw her body. She could feel stuff from her body still, but she could, was, was above her body. It's a very common experience. Uh, she didn't see a dark tunnel. Other people saw a dark tunnel. She saw a path, that, that, you know, a direction you wanted to go. Often in the, at the end of a dark tunnel is a bright light. Uh, light is a common theme for all these experiences. Uh, she mentioned a welcome committee. Uh, it was people she didn't know. Often it's people people know, family and friends uh, that are, that are greeting, greeting people. Some people think it's just like angels, they're not sure. Uh, often people see a city of light. Uh, it's interesting, we'll look at that. Um, John in Revelation talks about a celestial city. Very common to see a being of light. And this goes cross-cultural, cross-religious uh, backgrounds. And this being of light looks very similar to what we would think Jesus looked like. No matter if you're Muslim, uh, Buddhist, whatever it is. The being of light, very similar. Uh, then she talked about a threshold, a place where if you go past that, you're not, there's no coming back. And then, of course, all these folks return to earth. That's why it's called a near-death experience. Now, here might be a surprise for you. 23% of all reported near-death experiences are negative, which means there was probably a lot more, right? And we'll take one week and look at negative experiences. But if you had a negative experience, even if you're reluctant to talk about the positive ones, how much more reluctant would you be to talk about the negative ones? And so I'm assuming there's probably more than 23%. So why does this matter? <clears throat> because you're going to die, and I'm going to die. This is about what happens after you die, not Dr. Uh, Mary Neal, but you. Now, I thought this was a pretty high statistic. One in 25 people may have had a near-death experience. So in here, you know, there might be several of you that had one of these. And if you have, I'd be curious to, curious to talk to you. But 100% of people die, right? So, um, you might be asking a question, really? I don't really care about this. Um, people struggle with this for 2,000 years. It's nothing new. Um, 
I don't know if I believe this or not, or what's it going to be like. So, evidently, church in Corinth were asking these questions of Paul, and we have Paul write writings back to, to the Corinthian church about his explanation of this. So this is in 1 Corinthians 15. Someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? Blah, 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 blah. He says, what a foolish question. I don't know, Paul wasn't very <laughs> tactful, was he? Uh, you're an idiot for asking. No, no. He actually explains. He, gets, he does answer it as we look in the passage. And he uses an illustration of a seed. He says, when you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. <clears throat> we understand that, you know, that it germinates and part of the seed is food for it to, to, start, to start growing. We know that now. They probably didn't know it back then. And then it says, put into the ground. And uh, it's not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you, you are planting. If you've never seen an oak tree, and I showed you an acorn, can you imagine an oak tree? You can't get any seed. It's a little tomato seed or corn seed. Can you imagine a corn stalk or a tomato plant? You just can't comprehend it, can you? And so Paul's using this illustration. He says, oh, just like a seed has to die, it's going to produce something kind of like it, but completely different. He says, in the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they'll be raised in glory. They'll be buried in weakness, but they'll be raised in strength. They're buried, buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as something he's calling a spiritual body. Something similar, but completely different. Uh, better. Uh, not in weakness or brokenness. So, what you believe about heaven changes the way you live on earth. Right? If you don't believe anything about heaven or afterlife, it doesn't really matter what you do here on earth. Does it? If you kindly believe in kind of the good deeds thing, then you kind of try to do like uh, the doctor did, kind of do some good stuff to kind of hope you get in. Or you may have a, a strong theology about, and hopefully we just talked about grace, that is by God's grace you get, in, get into heaven. But we'll talk about the, 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 um, <laughs> the purpose of the results uh, of having good deeds. So, you shouldn't have a better plan for eternity than you do ne your next vacation. Hopefully you agree with me. Now, you probably got plenty of questions, maybe a million questions. I don't guarantee you I can answer them all or this book can answer them all. But I'd be curious to know what you have. Or what, what you're, and uh, I already talked about the pet thing, so <laughs> you don't need to talk about the pet thing. And some of our groups, small groups that are still meeting, are discussing this in small groups. So, if you're not in a group or your group's not meeting right now and you'd like to discuss it, uh, join one of the other groups. You're certainly welcome to, to ours. <clears throat> what you believe about heaven changes the way you live on earth. Most people in these experiences have a, a, a life review. And it's not a condemnation. And I'm thinking, I don't want to see all the dumb stuff I've done during my life. It's not in, uh, in condemnation, but there is a life review. So if I'm thinking, I'm going to have to live through this it's going to affect the way I live. And the biggest issue of this life review is the way you treat people. Isn't that what Jesus said? Love God and love other people? All right, so that's just a taste. That's an that's introduction. And we're going to spend probably the next five weeks talking about this and uh, discussing it. So I hope you can join us. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, thank you. We thank you for... Your word, we thank you for these experiences. They're, they're, they're part of life, and we, we can read this book and read these accounts and, 
And uh, not that they trump the Bible, but they can uh, give us a better uh, insight or, or help our imaginations, because our imaginations aren't that strong. And we want to pray for anyone that maybe is not a Jesus follower, doesn't believe in the afterlife, God, that they, they would take time to think about it and possibly even step across that line. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.